please note that the last 10 minutes of this recording had to be recorded at a later date due to technical difficulties during the main service. As we open God's Word this morning, let's just ask for His inspiration so that He is the one doing the speaking. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we come to Your Word, we acknowledge that it is Your sovereign Word from a sovereign God handed down to us. It is living. It is powerful. And what You require of us is to be soft and pliable before Your Word. Lord, allow Your Spirit to work in us. Do Your work, we pray, so that these words will not just be words, but that they will become obedience in us. Do Your work, we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be reading the last section of this chapter. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. I'm sure your kids, when they face an exciting time in their lives, they, you go down the route of one more sleep, and then whatever's going to happen, happens. Well, we're at one more event before the amazing event happens, and God in the form of a human baby, comes to dwell with men. One more sleep. And I don't mean this morning for you, by the way. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy towards her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And Zacharias asked for a tablet And wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he began to speak in praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, 
might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We've come to this specific time where Elizabeth comes and she has to give birth to her son John. And as happened in those days and as happens today, the neighbors and the relatives gathered round to rejoice with her that God had answered her prayers and that now this baby was born. You see, they had heard about the Lord's mercy to her and obviously she had opened her mouth and spoken about it. And right here I want to stop and I want to give us some application right there. You see, she was opening her mouth. She was speaking out about what God had been doing in her life. She was open about it. She was an open billboard to God's work in her life. How often do we tell people about what God is doing in, our, in and through our lives? Are we billboards to our society? Are we billboards to our families? Or do we kind of keep it hush-hush? Very reserved, sometimes a bit the Kiwi way, isn't it? No, she speaks out. And the village comes round, the relatives come round, and they rejoice in the Lord's mercy to her and this baby that is born. And then on the eighth day, the little baby has to be circumcised. All Jewish children, whether, all Jewish male children, whether they were slaves or free, had to be circumcised as a sign of God's holy covenant with Abraham. You can read about that in Genesis 17 verse 12. And later, together with circumcision, comes the naming of the child at that same time. And so this is a community event that we find. And as often happened, the boy was named after his father, and so he would have become Zacharias Jr., right? Or they would have named the child after some event that had happened. And so Zechariah had encountered this angel and this angel uh, had brought him this message and, and this had gone out and the people knew of this great event and so they expected this child to be called Zacharias. Talk about community peer pressure and I, and I know you ladies who've given birth, you'll know what that's about. Right? Later on they'll come and say, but no one is called John. You want to call him John, right? That's what Elizabeth said. His name will be John. And the community says, but hang on, no one in your family is called John. I'm sure you've had, heard that argument before. We did. And that's where you land up with some weird names. Because it's, they want a girl and it's a boy and so they kind of make a new name from the boy's name. Called Davidina. But no, Elizabeth says, he shall be called John. But the community and the rallies are not happy with that, and so they make signs to Zacharias. And here's a bit of proof that he was made deaf and mute. They made signs to him and said, 
What do you want him called? You know, if he was, if he was able to hear, they could have just said, what do you want him called? But they didn't. They had to make signs. And so, what does Zacharias do? He asks for a wax tablet, and on it he writes, His name is John. Four definitive words. There would be no quibbling anymore. Clear, final. You see, Zacharias had learnt, when God says something, I need to obey. God said, call him John, I need to call this baby John. No one will argue with me about that. And notice the response in the people. They were astonished, says our text. People are always astonished when believers stand up and we are firm on what we believe. Zacharias and Elizabeth stood together as a couple. They knew what God had told them to do and they would stick with it. His name is John. God has said so. When we as believers are convicted of truth, when we stand up for truth, that is when people will be astonished. It is when we waver. It is when we say one thing and do another. That is when the world turn their backs on us and they laugh at us and Christianity loses its credibility. This couple stood firm against this community and family and they honored God firstly. And look what happens, you see. God honors Zechariah as he said he would. And as Zechariah obeys God and says, His name is John, suddenly his tongue was loosened. Now the skeptics will say, well, it was just a traumatic experience he had to come through and so when he had released that tension in him, his tongue was loosened. No. This was a spiritual moment here. He had been disobedient. God had held his tongue. And now when he's obedient, God releases his tongue and he receives the Spirit. Note Luke's, Luke, we're going to come back to that loosening of the tongue. But note Luke's comment here on the people's response, verses 65 to 66 and verse 80. He's kind of speaking in brackets. He says, the results in the community of this faithfulness to God, of this couple, was that fear came on all those who heard it. And this wasn't a fear as in we are scared. This is a fear as in a reverence for God. A reverence for God came on all the people who heard about God's faithfulness and who saw God's dealings as Zacharias' tongue was loosened. They realized what this was about. This was God at work in front of them. And this news didn't just stay in this little village. It spread out into all the hill country of Judea and it spread out into the wider Israel. <clears throat> what does it say? The people were talking about it. They were mulling over it in their conversations around their fireplaces at night, in their kitchens. What were they talking about? They were talking about God's amazing works in this couple. In the, in the Welsh Revival of 1904, it is told, and I read it in this little great little book by Yayan Evans, good Welsh name, that when the revival spread through Wales in 1904, that there were prayer meetings happening down in the coal pits before work started. That was unheard of. Because generally people had to be chivied to get down underground again and to get to their shifts on time. But here prayer meetings 
were happening in the pits before work. Pubs were closed in the villages, in the Welsh villages, because of a lack of business. People no longer wanted to get drunk. Many hundreds, it says, were converted in the villages. In the churches, the halls were packed out because of what God is doing among the people. On the trains, people were having prayer meetings on the trains while they're going to work. How's that? On the streets, people were huddled in groups praying before the Lord. In the newspapers, the newspapers from page to page were reporting what was happening in these, in these Welsh villages. And when I, I visited there a few years ago, we went on a singing tour through these Welsh villages. They are still singing those great hymns of faith that came from this time of revival when God worked among His people and it went out into the surrounding communities. You see, when God works and when people open their lives and their mouths to what God is doing, the word spreads. And this community here was buzzing because of God's work that had been happening. They kept these happenings in mind. In other words, they mulled over. They were thinking about these things. This child was indeed special. Our text says they were saying, what will he turn out to be? And they noted that the hand of the Lord was certainly on him, says our text. So this was not just a small happening. This was major. And it went out into the community. And then they noted that in verse 80, this child was no ordinary child. From a very early age, he went out into the deserts. And whether he lived with holy people or not, we don't know. But he went out into the deserts. He grew up there. And our text says he became strong in spirit. In other words, he was set apart for God's service. And God was preparing him for what was to come. The people noticed. And God was glorified through it. You see, when God acts, it's very, very clear. But we are part of that, and we need to be testifying to that. And I pray for the day when the testimony will go out from this church and from this city into, into the wider region of what God is doing through us and in us and in this city. Because through that, God will be glorified. I pray for that day. Now, let's go back to Zacharias, verse 67. God loosens his tongue and he starts, the first thing he does is he doesn't get into a long lengthy debate as to why he decided to call this boy John. He immediately gives glory where glory is due and that is to God himself. He praises God, just like Mary we saw last time. And like Mary, the song that Zacharias comes out with has distinctly Old Testament tones. That's all they had up to now, by the way. And Zacharias was also a priest. He was well versed in the Old Testament. And what he does is, he looks back in the history of the people to the covenant God had with David. He looks back to the covenant God had with Abraham. And then he looks at this baby in his arms and he prophesies over the, the baby as to what he would do and what Christ would do through John and through the Gospel spreading. So that's a basic outline of where his, his song of praise goes. So how did God fulfill this covenant to David that he looks back on? He foretells. What, does, what did God do 
to bring about this covenant to David. We see that Zechariah in verse 68 starts his, his song of praise with words similar to those that King David used when he installed his son Solomon as the king of Israel in 1 Kings 1, uh, 1, Kings 1 verse 48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He gives glory where glory is due. He recognizes that the one who is blessing them now is Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God. And he says, this is our God, the God of Israel. This is the God who is my God. And he gives God glory. This is the one who promised to David through the prophet Nathan that David would be succeeded by his son Solomon, but that there would be an ultimate greater successor who would come after him, who would establish his throne forever. And if you want to turn to 2 Samuel 7 at some stage this week and have a look at it, this is where God promised David that he would bring one greater than him who would establish his throne forever. But how would God do this? Zechariah says in verse 68, For he, that is God, has visited us and accomplished this. That word visited is not like we'd use it today. I'm visiting you. No. That word visited in, in this context means God looked upon Israel in mercy. They were in a situation where they couldn't help themselves and God very determinately and deliberately intervenes on their behalf. That is what the word visit means. God visited Israel, His people. Why? There's a purpose in this. Look at it, verse 68. Because He needed to accomplish redemption for His people. You see, that word means, that phrase, to accomplish redemption, means there was, acti- there was captivity implied. They were in a situation where they couldn't help themselves. And God has to come in and set them free by paying a price. He has to redeem His people. And any good Jewish boy and girl who heard this, these words, redeem His people, would immediately be taken back to the Exodus. And God passing through Egypt and redeeming His people, not just from the Egyptian masters, but also from the angel of death who passed over. God redeemed His people. He set them free. They were no longer in captivity. He saved them. He visited His people. And that's what Zechariah is saying. God, in the past, redeemed us. He kept His promise to David. You see, as a people says Zechariah, we were still captive. And even today, we are still captive to the sins of our our father Adam. And Zechariah knew that. He knew the history of Israel. He knew that there was historic unfaithfulness of his own people before God. And even as in their present situation, they they were now under Roman oppression. They knew that the only one who could save them was this Messiah. They knew that Presently, the sin of the nation was great before the Lord and that only the Messiah could set them free. And this Messiah needed to accomplish redemption on their behalf then too. And he wouldn't do it by political means as so many of them hoped. Zacharias clearly understood this would be a spiritual redemption. As God had redeemed them in the past, it wasn't just physical in the past, it was definitely a spiritual redemption. And then he carries on, verse 69. He says, He raised up a horn of salvation for us. 
a horn of salvation. You see, the underlying figure here is a figure of power. And that was symbolized in the horn of a ram or a wild ox or a bull. Rugby teams even use this, the blue bulls, back in my home country. Alright? It meant power. You can't stand in front of us. Well, God raised up a horn of salvation for the Israelites. The picture is of an army that's been taken captive, but then suddenly help arrives and there is overwhelming power applied to the situation and the captivity is broken, the battle is won, and the army is freed from the enemies. That is the picture that Zechariah paints here. There is overwhelming and destructive power needed to free them from this situation of helplessness, to free them from their enemies, verse 71, and all those who hate us. You see, on their own, Israel couldn't attain it. They couldn't help themselves. They were in captivity. And time and time again, the Lord came through and took them out of that situation. And Zacharias reminds the people of God's faithfulness. You see, through the holy prophets of old, verse 70, God would bring this one from the house of David. And now it was about to happen. The Messiah was to be born. And this Messiah would fight the battle on Israel's behalf and he would bring deliverance to the captives, he says. Jesus picks up on that theme a little later after he's born, by the way. Right? Jesus picks up on this theme, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And he fulfills the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah 61, verse 1, which said, He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. Jesus fulfilled those very words later. And this was the Old Testament prophecy that would come about through the house of David. The Messiah was to bring salvation to people in bondage to sin and death. Not to free them from the yoke of the Roman oppression, not to free them from political slavery, but he was to fight and win a spiritual battle on their behalf. And you know, today, this promise still rings true to you and me. Because David's greatest son, the Messiah, did indeed come. And he is the only one who can move a sinner from death to life. It's only Jesus who can do this. He is the only one who can move a sinner from darkness to light, from eternal hopelessness to eternal life, from guilt to forgiveness. It is only the Messiah that can bring this about. He is the only one who made a way for us so that this can be achieved. A few decades after this specific prophecy by Zechariah, Jesus was put to death, but He conquered death and He rose again, making it possible for mankind, you and I, to do the same, to have eternal life. But there's a reason why we're included in this deliverance and it's contained here in this prophecy. And it has to do with the second covenant that Zacharias points to. And that is the covenant that God made with Abraham. Verse 72 to 75. You see, God made a promise with Abraham that although Abraham was childless, he would one day be a great nation and that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed by him. And if you are sitting here today and you are a believer, then that promise has come true for you. You are part of the children of Abraham. 
that promises come true in that covenant that God made with Abraham. Because God would show His mercy, verse 72, God's undeserved favor, not just to Abraham, but to all who would come after Abraham and who would put their faith in God and so become children of Abraham. This has got nothing to do with nationality. It's got everything to do with coming to God and asking Him to forgive and giving you faith and so becoming a child of Abraham. Note in verse 74 to 75, there is a purpose in God's doing this in us. Just just like there was a purpose in God delivering Israel to worship Him and to glorify Him in their walk before Him, there is a purpose in Him saving us and giving us redemption. You see, sinners are delivered from Satan's bondage to something. What are they delivered to? freedom in Christ and there's purpose you see sinners are set free not to do their own will because that would be bondage again but we as sinners are freed and given over to Christ to do his will the text says here to serve him without fear and Zacharias knew this right here in the Old Testament God freed Israel to serve him God frees you and I to serve him he doesn't just free us And I meet many believers today who think that they've just been freed. That's it. There's no more else. There's nothing else to do. Yes, you've been freed, but there's purpose. You are free to serve Jesus Christ without fear. And you are free to to be set apart in holiness and righteousness, says our text, for the rest of your life. You see, if you're a believer here today... And I know not all of us are believers, but I want to speak to you if you're a believer here today. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ. There's too much around today where we think we're just individuals. And Christ has saved us and there I go through life. No, no. You don't belong to yourself if you you believe. You belong to Jesus Christ. But the question is this. Does your daily obedience to His Word reflect this, that you belong to Him? Or does it show that you belong to yourself and that you just do what you want to do? Does the fact that you belong to Christ, does it show in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ? Does it show in your goals and objectives in your life? Does it show in your service to Christ's body here in this church where He's made you part of? Does it show in your service of others? Does it show in your service of this community where God has put you and I in, here in Wanganui East? Does it show that you belong to Jesus Christ? Or do you spend all your time serving your own interests and your own longings? We belong to Jesus Christ. Don't let self become all-encompassing in your life. You see, Christ fought a battle for you. Christ won that battle for you. He redeemed you. You are His. You now have a purpose before Him as you live this life. And that's why you're still on this earth. When God finishes His purposes with you, He will take you from this life and you will be with Him. So obviously, as you sit here in front of me, you have a purpose to fulfill in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, says the Apostle, I urge you, brothers, and I include sisters here, by the mercies of God... 
to present your bodies, that is yourselves, a living, that is a day by day, and a holy, that is a set-apart sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. If you want to worship God, then be reminded this morning from Zechariah, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus Christ. You need to serve Him first. And then we see in Zacharias' song of praise, verse 76, that his attention now shifts to this baby that presumably he's holding in his arms, his newborn. And he prophesies over this little baby, and he says, verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Imagine this father saying this to his child. For you will go on before the Lord, the Messiah, to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of His sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, through the Holy Spirit's utterance through Zechariah, Zechariah knew that this baby would prepare the way for the Messiah. And this had been foretold by prophets of old. There would come one before. Malachi, Isaiah, many passages in Scripture which foretold that there would become a messenger before the Messiah. And here he is in Zechariah's arms. You, my child. How were the people to be prepared through this little baby that was now in Zechariah's arms? Our text says that he would prepare the way for the Lord by the, by the following way. He would bring them the knowledge of salvation. He wouldn't bring them a big program. He wouldn't have advertising agents going out before him with big shows and dances and attracting attractions to get the people in the halls. No. What would he do? He would bring them the knowledge of salvation. It's the gospel message that saves you, see. Nothing else. And if so many of our churches today would remember this, it isn't the sideshows, it isn't all those side attractions to bring the people in there, it isn't the, attain, the entertainment, it isn't the worship bands, it is the gospel that saves people. And that was the message that John the Baptist had to bring the people. The Messiah, the one, will come. You need to know that He is the one who saves you. How do you do that? How can you be saved? Our text tells us here, here it is, the gospel message already, only by the forgiveness of your sins because of God's tender mercy. You see, you need to experience an act of God, is what John the Baptist would tell these people. You need God in your life. You need to have your sins forgiven. Otherwise, you are without God. And you need to do this because the Messiah is coming, the one who will make this all possible for you only by the forgiveness of your sins and God's tender mercy that you'll be saved. There's no other way to be made right with God, he would tell the people. You cannot even earn your way into heaven, he would tell them. You cannot live a good life. You cannot try and keep the Ten Commandments and think you can rock up at heaven and tell God, I kept the Ten Commandments, let me in please. He will say, I don't know you. You try to do this without me. You see, we can't get to heaven by our own efforts. 
You can't give vast sums to good causes and think the, the good outweighs the bad and therefore God will allow me into His heaven. You can't do that. Scripture says there is one way and one way only. Your sins need to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. And He would speak very directly to the scribes and the Pharisees who would try to pervert the way of God by all kinds of other ways. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees would sometimes come to the temple with big bags of money and very visibly with trumpets going they would plonk down their big bags of money so that everyone would know that I have now given to God aren't I a good person therefore I must be justified no John would call them all kinds of names so that they would realize what they were before God and that the only way they could come before God and be saved was through the forgiveness of their sins the only way for their debt to be cancelled before God was for, for the correct price to be paid. The perfect Lamb of God had to shed His blood and die. And it had to be a supernatural price that had to be paid because a supernatural price was demanded by God. God demanded a perfect price to be paid. And so God had to pay God for you. How would God go about doing this? This was exactly what would happen when Jesus Christ was born. When God would again visit, and there's that word that we've looked at previously, when God would again visit His people in mercy. And the Messiah, or as Zechariah says, the sunrise from on high would come to this earth. A direct reference back to Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 and Isaiah chapter 60. Verses 2 and 3. And this Messiah, the sunrise from on high, would start his ministry. And as Zacharias says, he would shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. It was through the Messiah's message and his ultimate sacrifice of his own life that he would guide their feet into the way of peace. Verse 79. And this was all yet to take place. And Zechariah through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, foretells it authoritatively. And as I close this morning, I'd like to just address these two groups of people. Those who've been saved and those who still sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And I'd like to address unbelievers who are amongst us here this morning first. You see, you are one that Scripture describes here as sitting in darkness and the shadow of death. If you're still trying to live life your way without God, thinking somehow that things will all turn out okay, you need to know from God's Word this morning that they won't. Things won't just turn out okay. Verse 79 says, You are sitting in darkness. You are sitting in Satan's domain. This word describes being in captivity, sitting in the darkness of a dungeon. You are in the shadow of death. In other words, if you don't take action and change your direction before God, you will die. This past week I was going home after a meeting and I came across two little possums. In my headlights. And you know the way possums act in headlights? They just stand there and they don't do anything. 
they hadn't done anything, they would have been highway pizza. But I couldn't get myself to do that. I know it's a national Kiwi sport, but I stopped and got them out the way and then I carried on. But you know, that said in jest, the same principle applies. If you don't take action before God, you will die in your sin. You can't just wait and hope everything will turn out all right. You need to turn to God this morning and to ask Him to forgive you from your sin. And you need to ask God to give you the salvation that He promises. He needs to free you from the prison that you sit in. He is the almighty horn of salvation. He is the one who can break you free from your helpless state and from those binding habits which you can't seem to get rid of. And He is the one who can break you free from your hopeless state before Him. You need to ask Him this morning to pay the debt for your life through Christ's blood shed for you. You need to bow your proud knee. and You can't put it off. One of Satan's best friends is delay. Don't delay. You don't know what will happen to you when you walk out of the service this morning. Don't delay. Come to the Lord now. Come to Him and find mercy. This is what God says to you from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 to 7. Listen to the call of Scripture to you. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You need to come to God today and ask him to save you from the dungeon of sin and the shadow of death that you sit under. I plead with you this morning. If you're an unbeliever here today, come to God. And be saved. And then lastly, I'd speak to you as believers here today. You on whom the sunrise from on high has shone. You who have been saved by Jesus Christ. You see this mighty horn of salvation, the same one that Zacharias describes here, has set you free to serve Him. This is how the hymn writer writes it. Listen to, the, to these words. Once I was lost in sin's degradation. Jesus came down and gave me salvation. Lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to Him. And you know the chorus. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. You see, you've been set free from that dungeon of sin and the shadow of death that's been described. But you've been f set free for a purpose. And that is to live a holy, Christ-centered life. But the question is, do you come to God's throne daily? Do you come to His throne daily to plead with Him to remove that dross and those impurities in your life that you know are there and to make you more like His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you ask God every day to help you to live life in such a way that the world notices God through your life and that the world sits up and wonders at what God is going to do next 
from the testimony of your life. We need to be coming before God and asking Him to do this in and through us. And then a question to us as a church here this morning. Do we as the body of Christ ask Him to use us as His church here in Wanganui East to be His messengers, not just in Wanganui East, but also in our city? Like Elizabeth and Zacharias lived out God's goodness and people saw and took note. And that the region was talking about what was happening to them. Do we go about our work for God in such a way and through the power of the Holy Spirit so that people will sit up and take notice and discuss what God is doing in and through us? You see, if the Holy Spirit doesn't enable us for the task that He has assigned to us, then people will not see what God is doing because we are working in our own strength. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the people labor in vain. That's my prayer, not just for you, but for this church. That we would do God's work in such a way, through the strength that He gives, that we would be a bright shining testimony to this community and to our city. And so our prayer today is, Lord, Loosen our tongues too to give praise to you so that people will take note and you will be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. And thank you that when we listen to your word and when we ask you to apply what we've learnt to our lives, that through our lives you will be glorified. Thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to die for us, the great horn of salvation. And thank you that he has freed us from our helpless state, sitting in the dungeon of sin, and he has brought us into light. The Son of Righteousness has visited us too. And Lord, thank you that you've done this great work. But Lord, the prayer is today that you would use us as your church here in Wanganui East, so that your name would be glorified. Lord, use us, we pray. Amen.